We're talking about transformation. We're talking about life change. We're talking about being one thing and then becoming something else entirely. In fact, the word transformation is defined by to change in form, appearance, or character in a way that seems miraculous to others. Anybody here ever seen that happen in anybody's life? Anybody ever seen transformation? Anybody ever been transformed? Any, any transformed people in the house this morning? Any transformed people in the house this morning? <laughs> Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, say it with me, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's just be sure we understand something. One of the big mistakes that, that teachers and students of the Word have made over the years in reading that verse of Scripture is they get so bogged down in, in what's the difference between his good and his pleasing and his perfect will and, and all that, when in fact the whole essence of that message is that there are two sides of an equation here. Do, do you see the two sides of the equation? You can either fall into the patterns of this world, or you can be transformed into a pattern of fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Those are the two options. And the default is what? Patterns of this world. And that's why you have to be transformed, changed into the form that we're all born into, this sin nature, and transformed into this person who can fulfill God's purpose in our lives. That word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorpho. Meta meaning change, morpho meaning to morph. It just means to be transfigured, to be transformed, to change. And so the simple truth of the matter is this morning we're going to lean into this uh, series of, of legacy. We're going to kind of wrap it all up today by talking about that simple issue of transformation. For those of you that are new... Those of you that are watching online, we've been in a series now for about five weeks talking about the legacy that, uh, of the bridge and, frankly, the legacy of Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie, uh, and, and we just want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate what God has been doing through these first few weeks. I felt very strongly in my first few weeks as your lead pastor that we spend some time just capturing that legacy, celebrating it, but not just celebrating it, but in fact making commitments to take it to the next level. You remember the key quote, those of you that have been here, the key quote for the series has been what? Do you remember it? An inheritance comes, say it with me, is it on the screens? Here we go. An inheritance comes at the sacrifice of one generation for the benefit of the next generation. Any generation that's unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next. And I told you from the outset of the series, what happens historically what happens statistically most of the time when a pastor has been in place for 25 plus years and a church has grown dramatically under that pastor's leadership, anybody know what happens as soon as he leaves? It starts down. And why does it start down? Because we aren't willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to say we will not consume that legacy. Uh, we're going to, in fact, build on that legacy for the sake of the generations to come. And what did we say in the first message? Those of you who are here, said it ain't going to happen to us. It ain't going to happen to us. Say it with me. It ain't going to happen to us. We ain't going down. We're going to a whole nother level of legacy in this house. Can I get a, a hand clap of praise in this place? Amen. 
So week by week, we've just been identifying areas of the legacy of this house. We talked about the difference between heirs and hirelings, and that's why we call membership around here ownership. In fact, if you haven't signed up yet, you can still do it. Text ownership to 72345, and we'll get you in next Sunday. In fact, new thing, we're actually doing it during the Sunday morning services. So you can come to first service and worship and stay for ownership, or you can come to ownership in the first service and stay for worship in the second, and your kids will be in Bridge Kids. So we'll take care of your kids, and, and you don't have to find another time to come out. We want you to get into ownership. Record numbers of people are signing up. We just believe we're about to go on the next level, okay? Then we talked about our Christian heritage, and I challenged us all that day to get educated and, and engaged in, in our great nation and the Christian heritage of our great nation. Uh, Then we talked about taking a multi-generational view, embracing the wisdom of the older generation, uh, embracing the energy and the fresh ideas of the emerging generation, and then the current generation being the linkage that holds it all together. And then last week we talked about service, and we made a decision among us that there ain't no butt prints in the sand around here. Those of you that weren't here, you may want to get the manuscript or watch the video. So he just said, but in church. I can't believe he said, but in church. If you want a manuscript, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc. And if you want to follow along today, go to to the Bible app in your smartphone and follow along. The Bible app, Events, Bridge, Princeton. And if you're going to post anything, go to hashtag legacy HNL. Okay, you ready to get into it? There's so, many fa- there's so many facets of this legacy that, frankly, we could spend months just picking out elements of the legacy of this house. But as I told you at the outset this morning, uh, we're going to wrap this all up by just going into the bottom line. And here's the bottom line from my perspective. Uh, those of you that know me well know that uh, Pastor Farrell and I have been friends. And Miss Millie, we've been friends for 40-plus, none of your business, years, and I've watched God bless in this church in so many ways over the years, and, and I've had the privilege to be a part at one level or another for probably five or six years. And, and fr- from my perspective, you telling me if it's true, the legacy of Farrell and Millie Hardison is not big buildings, it's not multi-site church, it's not the largest church in the region. The legacy of Farrell and Millie Hardison is transformed lives. Can, can I get an agreement in this house on that one thing? Amen. So what I want to do in the few minutes we have this morning is I want to identify two kind of identifying characteristics of the bridge that have been critical for that to be true, that lives in fact have been transformed and I believe will continue to be. And then I want us to make some commitments this morning that we're going to take it to the next level. Okay, let's get into it. There are two identifying characteristics of the bridge that's made it a place of transformed lives. And the first one is this, the bridge is an inviting church. Say with me, the bridge is an inviting church. Several years ago, Pastor Farrell sensed the Lord saying, you know, if we're really going to be an inviting church, if we're really going to provide an opportunity for people far from God to come to Jesus and meet him, then, then we're going to have to provide weekend services that kind of break down the barriers between what people who don't know about church uh, and what church is going, we've got to break those barriers down. We've we got to create an atmosphere where people are accepted regardless of how far they've come on their journey, and then we've got to help them know who Jesus is, fall in love with Jesus like we have, and then begin to follow Jesus. And so he began to say, we're an inviting church. And those of you that were here in those days, uh, he challenged us. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find an unchurched or an unsaved person, or maybe they're unsaved and unchurched, 
I want you to invest in a relationship with that person. And then as you build a relationship with them, in time, I want you to invite them to church. Anybody remember that? So invest and invite was the name of the strategy. And we talked a lot about it in those days. I used to talk to Farrell a good bit about it. We were doing the same thing at our church in Chesapeake. Invest and invite, build a relationship, invite them to church. And Farrell made some promises to you several years ago when this thing got started. He said, if you'll do that, if you will invest and invite, then you can expect three things to, to be true when you bring that person. The last thing you want to do is spend six months building a relationship with somebody and then bring them to church, and when they get here, go, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that today. You with me? <laughs> so he said there'll be no surprises. In fact, there are three things that you can expect when you bring those people here. The first thing you can expect is what we call an atmosphere of acceptance. That belong before you believe is not just a slogan that we put on the walls or on the door. It's who we are. And why are we that way? Because that's who Jesus is. Look at the scriptures. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, when somebody comes through our doors, we don't care how far they've come on their journey to this point. We don't care. It's irrelevant. The only thing we care about is the direction of their feet from this point forward. Now, let's be clear. Does that mean sin's okay? No. Somebody say no, quick. It's, it's, no, it's not. Romans 6.23 is clear. For the wages of sin is death. So we know that. So if I see you about to walk off a cliff, do I just go, oh, well, another one bites the dust. <laughs> is that what you do? What do you do when you see somebody about to step off a cliff? You go, yo, dude, whoa, stop, wait, man, don't you see that cliff coming? This is where you're going to land, right? So you warn them because you love them, because you care about that. But hear me, guys, this is huge uh, for the body of Christ. This is huge, especially in the American churches I've seen it. Our love, lean in, you may want to tweet this, our love for people does not depend on their response to our warning. Our love for people is not dependent on their response to our warning. If you aren't careful, you will warn them about the sin in their lives. And if they push back or if they disagree or if they ignore you, you will start to get angry with them and actually push the very people you're trying to reach away. I had a pastor call me one day. And uh, I recognized, of course, his name on the caller ID. He's a pastor I've known for a long time. And, and I said, hello, how you doing, pastor? And he said, I quit. <laughs> okay, not having a good day, are you? Huh? He said, no, man, I got to tell you, I, I just talked to this guy. I've been talking to him for, for a month, and, and it was so clear what he needed to do, and it was so obvious what he needed to change, and, and he hasn't changed anything. In fact, he's headed further down that same road and I just if I can't convince one person to do one thing that's obvious then I got no business being a pastor I'm done and I said sir it's not your job to get people to do stuff it's not your job your job is to love people tell them the truth celebrate with them if they embrace the truth and help them pick up the pieces later if they don't. That, that's your job. That's what Jesus does. And so our job is to create that atmosphere of acceptance where sin is not okay, 
Of course it's not okay. But hear me, guys. Most of the people that come through our doors don't need a guilt trip. They're beating themselves up pretty well already. (laughs) What they need is an answer. What they need is a solution. What they need is a path. But hear me, guys. When you finally get this, belong before you believe becomes a, it, it creates an atmosphere where people can come, people can meet people, people can hear the truth taught, people can learn about this God who loves them, and yes, in time, they can begin to believe that God really does love them. And if you're wondering, by the way, if it's working, I pulled some stats this week just out of curiosity. In the past 10 years, the bridge has more than doubled in attendance. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Far more importantly, we have more than 750 people who have accepted Christ in that same period of time right here in this house. And that's just the ones that filled out a card or went to the altar and told us about it. We know there's more and more and more. In the process, the bridge has become a place, hear me, the bridge has become a place where whosoever will may come is a reality. They come from every walk of life and background. And that's why we got everything from bikers to bankers and from cons to the cops that put them away, you know. And they're all welcome here to meet Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's what Farrell promised would happen if you would invest and invite. The second thing he promised is you can expect a standard of excellence. You can expect that we would believe, that we would embrace, that close enough is not good enough for the king. Close enough is not good enough for the king. Say it with me. Close enough is not good enough for the king. Here's how Paul put it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. If you eat or drink or you do anything, do it, what? All for the glory of God. Believe me when I say that we on staff here don't take ourselves very seriously. We, we joke and cut up and make silly videos and pick at each other and do practical jokes and all kinds of stuff. But don't you ever doubt for a minute we take what we do very seriously. Why? Because everything we do, we do our best to do it for the glory of God. And that's not just the staff. That's across the board in this house. The level of excellency that we see is pretty phenomenal. So let me ask you just real quick, what does all mean when Paul said all? All? All. Well, does that include the appearance of our facility? Yeah. So, so is the, the hard work that goes on during the week to keep this place clean and to decorate this place, is, is that a part of people coming to Christ? Somebody say yes, quick. Because you, you can know that when you invest and invite and bring somebody, that they will come and you will not be embarrassed by the appearance of the facility. And that may seem silly, but it's amazing how easy it is to take for granted how something looks and stop seeing what other people walk up and go, whoa, what's that? Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. In fact, that's a big part of of Miss Millie's legacy in this house is the design and the team that she's built to do the design, and that team goes on. How about our music? Does all include our music? Yeah, it does. I mean, we know the excellence of the music here, but can I tell you, some of you will relate to this, some of you perhaps won't, but I grew up in church, and I grew up hearing people, they would get up to sing, and they would say, some of you know what I'm about to say, they would get up and say, now don't listen to the way I sing, 
Just listen to the words of the song. And even as a kid, I would go, if they don't want me to listen to the way they sing, why do they have a microphone? Why don't they just pass out a lyric sheet and say, read this, guys. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, no, don't misunderstand me. You don't have to carry a tune in a lead bucket to sing in this house. In fact, if you can't carry a tune, if you are tone deaf as a stone, come and sing at the top of your lungs. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to hear that voice just like a mama receives a bundle of weeds from a child, says, I brought you some flowers, mama. That's what God's going to hear when he hears your voice. But we ain't going to give you a microphone. (laughs) Does all include preaching? We've got an amazing group of preaching pastors on the teaching team here. They bring biblical messages that speak life to the real issues that we're dealing with. But hear me, guys, and this is, this is not as normal as I wish it were in an awful lot of places. We don't just walk up here and open our mouths and wait for God to fill it. There's an awful lot of work. There's hours and hours of work. And there's planning, weeks and weeks and months and months of planning to coordinate graphics and videos. And, and, and all of our campuses are preaching on the same subject. And all of the pastors have the liberty to, to develop the sermon according to what's in their hearts and what's needed for their campus. But at the same time, we're preaching the same principles and the same ideas. That takes weeks and weeks and weeks of planning. It takes a lot of commitment to excellence to pull that off. And in case you're saying, whoa, wait a minute now, you, you have just removed the work of the Holy Spirit by planning so far. Right. Can I tell you that I absolutely, I've been in these settings where, where the Holy Spirit does something in a service and it's just this instant, spontaneous, everybody goes, wow, that had to be God. Couldn't have been anything but God. I love those moments. Don't you love those moments? But you know what I love just as much? Just as much. One Sunday morning, I preached a message, and a Navy guy came to the altar. I thought he was, uh, you know, about to break, because he was clearly emotional in his face. I thought he was ready to pray and receive Jesus, and, but I found out he was mad. He said, who told you to preach that sermon? <laughs> I said, well, I, I think God told me to preach it. I don't know. <laughs> He said, my wife called you this morning, didn't she? <laughs> I said, uh, no, I'm not sure I, I know your wife, but I didn't get a call this morning. He <laughs> said, yes, she did. I know she did. She called you this morning and told you that I've got 16 years in the military, and I have decided not to re-up for the final four years to be eligible for retirement. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And she called you and told you that to preach that sermon. I just preached a sermon that I called the high cost of quitting. (laughs) He said, and she put you up to it. And there was nothing I could do to convince him that she didn't uh, that she didn't do that. I don't know your wife, I hadn't met your wife, I hadn't talked to your wife. Uh, What are the odds that I would change a message when there's couple thousand people coming here today and they'll change it just for one. I mean, everything I tried, the only thing that finally got him is I said, sir, this sermon was planned in January. And God knew who would be here for the first time on the first Sunday in August when he told me in January. He re-enlisted. So all includes facilities, it includes music, it includes preaching, it includes, how about bridge kids? Yeah. How about student ministries? 
How about office management and bookkeeping? Yeah, it includes everything. We could go on, but every area of ministry has this commitment. So when you invest and invite someone to this place, you can be sure that they will find a welcoming atmosphere and they will find a close enough is not good enough for the king attitude among everybody who serves at every level in this house. But more importantly, remember Pharaoh made three promises. More importantly, he said, you can expect the transforming power of God at work in this house. Please understand that at the end of the day, atmosphere is good, excellence is good, but they are not the answer for transformed lives. You can get a good atmosphere and excellence at a rock concert. People aren't necessarily meeting Jesus there and getting saved, right? They're important, they're not enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God is the one who made it grow. So atmosphere and, ex- and excellence are the seed planting and the watering. They're important, but only God can transform a life. So how do we guarantee that the transforming power of God will be at work? There are two prayers we have to pray. There are two prayers we have to pray. pray. How, many, how many prayers? And what are we going to do with those? We're going to pray two prayers. I want you to get this. I'm slowing down because I want you to get this. If we're going to see the transforming power of God work in this house in the way that it has for many years and go to the next level, God bless your heart. (laughs) Go to the next level, then we got to pray two. How many prayers? Two prayers. Prayer number one is we pray for God to move in us. We pray for God to move in us. Go back with me to the beginning of the church. Before Jesus went to heaven or went to the Father to prepare heaven for us, he gave the early church some instructions. And he said, if you're going to change the world, wait. Don't start at this change the world business until something happens. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of My father promised. Anybody know what gift he's talking about? He said, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. There's a promised Holy Spirit's going to come. So wait before you start for the gift my father's promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I know that that term baptism in the Holy Spirit has taken on so much baggage these days. I mean, it's just confusing to some people, and depending on what your background is, it just scares some people to the point that there are people that understand uh, this biblical teaching who won't even use the expression because they're scared of it because it's got so much baggage tied to it. But hear me, when Jesus compared baptism with water with baptism in the Spirit, there's an important reason that he did. That word baptism is the Greek word baptizo, that literally means to make fully wet, to immerse. So when, when you submit yourself to water baptism, that's what we call it, submit yourself to water baptism, what happens? You, you get in a pool of water, and the preacher or somebody who's standing there with you tells you to hold your nose and take a breath and takes you down in the water and sings two verses of just as I am and amazing grace and and brings you up, and you have no control. You are fully submitted to the water. You with me? 
the spiritual father I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, A.C. Wheeler, <coughs> one of my spiritual fathers in my early days, when I did my first uh, baptism, I went to him and said, Pastor Wheeler, I've never done one. I don't know what to do. Calm down, Jim. I'll get you through it. And he told me a story uh, about a lady that he baptized one time. He said, now, if you've got anybody scared of water, you might need to be flexible with it. He said, I had one one time, and, and she was terrified of water, and, but I was determined we're going to baptize her by immersion, even if she's scared. And and he said, now, please understand, uh, this lady weighed about 300 pounds, and, uh, and Brother Wheeler weighed about 350 pounds, and so there's 750 pounds of humanity <laughs> out there in the middle of a mill pond. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, I took her down under the water, and Jim, I do not know to this day how she got her legs wrapped around my head, but she near about drowned us both. I do not know if that's a true story or not, but that's what A.C. Wheeler told me happened. So if you got one scared of water, you may want to sprinkle her, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to take them and make them fully wet. So what's Jesus saying when he says, wait until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? He's saying, wait until you have fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. That, that's it? Yeah, that's it. It's to fully immerse yourself in his control. Jared talked about it this morning, this idea of finally just letting go and, and letting go of control. And when you finally do, I surrender. When you do that, you submit yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. Then something amazing, some, this transformation happens. Let's just be honest, guys. We all know some people. Don't look at them or throw elbows, but we all know some people who are Christians. They are saved. They punch their ticket. When Jesus comes, they're going. When they die, they know where they're going to spend eternity. They got it. But they go to church, and they sing some songs, and they shake the preacher's hand, and maybe they even go to a life group, but their relationship with Jesus is just kind of this routine thing. You're just kind of going through the motions. It's what you're supposed to do stuff until one day they get serious about praying this prayer. I'm challenging us all to pray. God, move in me. And this, this thing, I don't know how to describe it other than to say this transformation, change in form, appearance, or character in a way that seems miraculous to others, this transformation takes place. And it's like they're a different person all of a sudden, the Bible comes alive for them, and they start talking about stuff they read that they never saw before. And you know they read it before, but they just didn't see it before. And serving becomes a joy instead of a, a task, and, and this, this gentle boldness about sharing their faith begins to come, and they're talking to people about Jesus. And going to church is, is not just something you do when, when you can fit it in. It's, I can't wait to get with my brothers and sisters. It's a family reunion time. Miss Church, are you kidding me? No way. What changed? They were saved. What changed? This power of the Holy Spirit came and changed their hearts. Why, why do things change like that? I, I think it's because, best analogy I can think of, uh, I, I think it's because we're a lot like sailboats. Sailboats are really pretty, Right? sit out there in the water and you look out over the water and you see the big sails and you see the, the keel and you say, well, that's a beautiful boat, isn't it? But if the wind ain't blowing, that boat's dead in the water. Am I right? They're seaworthy, but they ain't going nowhere until one day the wind picks up and you see those sails 
start to fill up, and you can almost feel the excitement rising, and you say, okay, they're about to go somewhere now, because the wind has started blowing, and the sails are starting to catch it, and the sailboat's starting to move. You got that picture? Acts chapter 2 refers to the promised Holy Spirit coming as a rushing, mighty wind. My granddaughter was at the house the other day, and she had been to a Bible study in, in the local church in the area, and, and she said, what did you learn in the Bible study? And she said, well, we learned about Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. And she said, oh, really? What, what did you learn? She said, when the Holy Spirit came, their heads caught on fire. <laughs> I won't tell you which church that was, but it wasn't ours, okay? But it, descri- <laughs> it describes the Holy Spirit as this rushing mighty wind. Hear me, guys. The wind of the Holy Spirit is always blowing. The only question is, are you adjusting your sails to catch it? That's the only question. So I've got to tell you, it breaks my heart as a pastor when I see people who, are, who want a better future, but they're stuck in their past. They want to break free from a critical spirit, but they can't forgive. They want to be free from from these habits, but, but nothing ever seems to change. And they're even mad at God for not fixing it sometimes. And all the while, the wind is blowing all around them. And they haven't adjusted their sails to catch it. In fact, instead of setting sail, they're wetting their finger and holding up and trying to see which way the wind's blowing. You, you see any wind? I feel any wind. I don't know, Jim. I, that's baptism and the Holy Spirit stuff. I, I've heard some crazy stuff about that. I I don't know if I want any of that stuff or not. I I better study the theology of that a little bit more. I better read some more commentaries on that a little bit more. Can I tell you guys that maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying be brain dumb, but just maybe there ought to come a time where we stop trying to figure it all out and just pray, oh God, move in me. I want your wind to blow across my heart. I want that cooling wind to to soften my hardened heart. I want you to move in me. It's kind of like electricity. I don't understand how that stuff works, but I hit a light switch and the light comes on and I get benefit from it. Work on the theology later, by all means. Learn all you can about it, but don't wait until you understand an internal combustion engine before you turn the key in the the car and drive away. Pray, God, move in The wind of the Holy Spirit has been blowing in this house for a very long time. I'm praying for a fresh wind to blow through this house. But, but, but how, how, how many prayers did I say we had to pray? Was it, was it one? It's two. The second prayer is we're praying for God to influence others through us. We are praying that God move in us, but we're also praying that God would influence others through us. Now we're praying not just that we would be so submitted that we would be immersed in the Holy Spirit, but that we would be so filled up with him that it would overflow on the people around us. And can I tell you that when you walk into a church where the members and the the owners of that house have been praying those kinds of prayers and engaging God at that kind of level, the atmosphere in the house is indescribable. I've been in those kind of settings And I've had guests walk up to me and say, Pastor Jim, I don't understand what's going on. The minute I walked in the room, I started crying. What's that about? Well, those are healing tears. Let them flow. This is a safe place. 
My favorite is Aaron, though. Aaron was 21, never been to church in his life. Said he went to Catholic Mass one time, didn't understand it, but that's the only church experience he ever had. Tats and piercings all over the place. Somebody drug him into our church one day, and he walked up to the front after the service, and he stuck his arm up and pulled his, his, his sleeve up, and the hair on his arm was standing right straight up, and he stuck it out at me, and he said, what is that? <laughs> I said, dude, that's God trying to hook up with you. He said, ah, I like it. <laughs> he didn't have a clue that it didn't change him or didn't, make, didn't keep him from engaging what God had for him. And yes, then we got him into a discipleship circle and we got him into some training and we got him water baptized and he began to grow in his faith. But he experienced what it was to have the wind of the Holy Spirit not just blow in the lives of the people that were there, but to blow through them onto his life as well, and that's, you, you know what I'm praying for, and I've been praying for several weeks now, that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow through this house so strongly that there would be a buzz in the region. There's something going on at the bridge. I don't know, there's something going on at the bridge. Can anybody join me in that prayer? There's something going on at the bridge. Come on, let's do that. Because hear me, guys, when that happens, the legacy of this house will go to a whole nother level. But there's still a problem, isn't there? I just saw the clock. I promise I saw it. <laughs> there's still a problem. And the problem is that there are tens of thousands of people around us, desperate for Jesus, and you can invite them until you're blue in the face. We can have an atmosphere of acceptance and excellence and the transforming power of God in this house, but they simply will not come. You've invited some of them. Until they finally said, leave me alone. Am I right? Yeah, they're not going to come. So that's why Jesus said to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what did he say? Go and make followers of all people. Go and make, go and make, go, go. What, what does go mean? It means go, make followers of all people in the world. Uh, what does all include? Is that your neighbor? Yeah, the one that parties too much on Saturday night? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's all of them. Uh, that's everybody. Is it the, the rich guy drives a BMW, but he's got a hole in his soul? Is it that guy? Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. It's all of them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've taught you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. It's exciting to say that hundreds of people have found Jesus here. It's amazing to realize that right here in the middle of a hog pasture, 15, 1,600 people will gather on our three campuses on a given weekend. But what about the tens of thousands out there who won't come here? If they won't come, we'll have to go where they are and bring the good news to them. There may have been a day when y'all come was enough, but now we got to go. We got to go be the church. So yes, the bridge is going to keep doing celebrations the way we do. We're going to keep praying for transformation of the lives of everybody who comes through our door. And we're not going to apologize for continuing to grow because so many people desperately need Jesus and we haven't reached them all yet. But we're also not going to sit here and wait until they come. Hello. We're going to go. So the bridge is an inviting church, but the bridge is also an invading church. We've been here for a long time. As I've said throughout this series, I believe we're poised to take this legacy 
to an HNL. Here's how Jesus told us to do it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, remember we're praying for God to move in us and influence others through us. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to you. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses inside the walls of your local church. You can let me get away with that? Inside the what? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and in every part of the world. Now, I don't know if that geography makes sense to you or not. If you've never studied it, it may not. But what he's talking about is three very specific groups of people. Jerusalem, of course, was their hometown. Judea was the area surrounding. Okay? So we're talking about Goldsboro, Princeton, Mount Olive, and the counties surrounding them. Anybody have any idea how many unsaved, unchurched people there are in Wayne uh, County, Johnston County, and parts of Duplin County? Anybody got any idea? 300,000 people live in those two counties and the parts of Duplin that we're reaching into. And if researchers know anything they're talking about, at least half of them never darken the door of a Christian church. 150,000 people within driving range of one of our three campuses who desperately need Jesus, but they're not coming, and so we're going. That's why we're involved in the public schools, and that's why we're involved in Wayne Pregnancy Center, and that's why we get involved in the area festivals that happen around here, and that's why we're doing sprinkler days on Thursday afternoon in downtown Goldsboro, and that's why we're involved in our community cares that's marrying police and sheriff and, and the city government with some of the higher crime areas of our city, and they're doing dance-off between cops and people on the street and just trying to build rapport. What are we doing? We're, we're invading the community with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we do call to arms, reaching into the middle of their community. That's us going to them. How about Samaria? What does Samaria represent for them? That was cross-cultural stuff. For them, Samaria was a culture uh, that they didn't care for. And the Samaritans and the Jews were always at odds with each other. And so this is talking about cross-cultural ministry. And that's why this year alone, we have served over 2,000 homeless and low-income families through our soup kitchen. This year alone. We've provided a service in the local prison where more than 600 have attended and more than 60 have given their lives to Jesus Christ this year alone. The Bridge to Hope Medical RV is going out on a regular basis. They're doing medical screenings and the prayer teams are there praying with the people that come and get screened. What are we doing? We're going out beyond these walls to make sure the good news is reaching the people who desperately need it. Hear me, guys. There's so much more going on out there than is going on in here. Unless you engage, unless you become an owner, unless you lean into it, you won't even know what's going on. But there's a third group, isn't there? What's the third group? It's every part of the world. Well, we're not in every part of the world yet, but we are sponsoring 31 missionaries in many parts of the world. Uh, And our first international campus came online a few years ago. Halak Tay and Belize came online. The team just came back. Can we celebrate that team just came back? I saw Jerry. Big sign, the bridge, Halakte, that's our first international campus. And so we're beginning to do all kinds of things around the world. But hear me, i got to close. Every time you volunteer for an outreach ministry activity or event, every time you give to the Giving Life by Giving Christ Fund, you're a part of making the bridge an invading church. And here's what we're going to do. Hear me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make an eternal difference as a church not only in us, but around us until Jesus comes. Anybody with me? 
Anybody want to make a difference in this world for Jesus? Anybody ready to say, I'm ready for some lives to be transformed. Let's do this in Jesus' name. The only question I got to ask before I shut up is what's your next step to do that? Where do you go from here? Maybe it is do ownership. Maybe it's join a life group. Maybe it's get involved in a ministry. Maybe it's share your faith with your neighbor. I was in a restaurant this past week, and, and I just simply said, is there a way to the waitress? Is there a way I can pray for you while I pray for my meal? And she said, I lost my son a few months ago. And she sat down and talked and shared her heart with us for just a few minutes. And we got to share with her right there in Ruby Tuesday. And you never know the opportunities that are there if you'll just step out more personally What legacy are you leaving for your family and the generations to come until Jesus comes? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your hands and feet in this world. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to not only serve you but to be empowered by you in that service. So right here in the quietness of this moment, I ask that every one of us hear your voice. Just speak to us all, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. I'm guessing, Lord, in a place like this, on a day like this, there are people that are not sure that they have a personal relationship with you. Would you whisper your love to them right now? Would you let them know that you accept them? Don't necessarily approve of their lifestyle because it might be destructive. You want to help them break that, but you accept them just the way they are. Then I dare say there are others in this room that have committed their lives to you and they've put their faith in you for eternity, but an honest look at their lives doesn't show Holy Spirit power and boldness and faith. And if that's where you are, I'll ask you simply to join me in the prayer. God, move in me. I'll catch the wind. You send it blowing. than others that have said, I'll serve in the church, but please don't put me out there in the community. I'm not one of those bold types. Would you give them a heart for their neighborhood, for their coworkers, in many cases for their own families that desperately need you, and help us all to be a part of this inviting church and this invading church. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for a moment. I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I just talked about three prayers. Maybe you need to pray, Jesus, give me a fresh start today, a new life. It's really that simple. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me for not doing life your way. Give me a fresh start today, new life. Pray that prayer right now. Pray in your own words. Pray silently. Pray aloud. I don't care. Just talk to him. He's listening. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, move 
in me. I need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in my life. Stir something fresh in me. And maybe you need to pray for a holy boldness. To tell others the good news that you have found. Father, you know where we are. You know what we need from you. Speak to us today. Let us go from this place better for having come to the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.